Hey, folks, I'm Tom. I'm Keith. And we're here to talk to you about uh, one of the fine sponsors of Front Row Knowles, and that is the Dunlap Champions Club. They've been with us for the last couple of years. Uh, many of you may have sampled it for the first time during the spring game. Uh, if so, the news was good. They had the biggest crowd they've ever had in there, and uh, from the stories I heard, things went well. Feedback was uh, off the charts in terms of the uh, – it was a great day to be outside, a great day to be inside, all the food, all the drink, all the uh, t- uh, televisions. You, you couldn't miss the action because of all the glass. I mean, there were a number of people – that spent their first game at Doak Campbell Stadium at the Champions Club during that spring game, and uh, they'll be back, and you need to join them. 644-1830 is how you can get some more information or tickets. Uh, you can buy season tickets. Obviously a great home schedule this year. They've also got three-game packs this year, so you can uh, truly sample it uh, before you make the, the the five-year commitment, I guess, to buy the, buy the season tickets. But it, it's worth checking out. Uh, there's a lot of excitement about Florida State football for obvious reasons, and this is one of them very much so and remember with your champions club seats you get opportunity to be in the club on friday come back on sunday uh, you can make it a weekend visit to the weekend destination you'll enjoy it what he said now here's front row Knowles. broadcasting live from the prime meridian bank studios in the capital city of tallahassee this is front row Knowles with tom block and keith jones front row Knowles is brought to you by cornerstone tool and fastener online at ctf.nu now here's tom and keith Hello, everybody. We welcome you to Front Row Knowles. Tom and KJ back with you. Keith, good to see you as always. Good to be seen. NFL Draft Week. Are you a draft nick? Do you get excited uh, about this? Do you really care? Do I'm you not, have enough I'm time? I'm not a draft to... nick. I'm not a draft nick. Of course, uh, as you well know and our listeners, I, I don't get into recruiting much at all, and I don't, I don't like the show when they're out there with uh, shorts on. Put some pads on. Let me see what they can do as a football player. But I do follow the draft relative, obviously, to FSU kids or, you know, some other guys that we played against uh, that uh, were noteworthy and caused damage against my Seminoles. So it's an it's interesting, interesting time. And I think the NFL uh, has turned the draft into something that uh, is obviously excited for a very few people, the ones getting drafted and the teams that are drafting them. But they've kind of turned it into a show where it's worth it's worth watching. Well, the NFL has figured out how to turn everything into a made-for-television or however we consume media event. So they put it in prime time. They do it over three days. Remember, it used to be Saturday and Sunday. It would start at noon each day. And then they figured out people aren't home on Saturday and Sunday at 12 noon. They're out doing stuff. Well, remember that, too, when, when, they, when they were doing it, that, that it was not on TV. So, therefore, if you were someone who was going to be drafted, you had better make sure they had a telephone number <laughs> where they could get a hold of you. Now <laughs> it's now it's not only primetime viewing, but they figured out that they can monetize it more by moving it around. So tomorrow Jerry, night, Jerry's world. Tomorrow night we're in Jerry's world. They haven't announced the next two. I'm sure that they'll probably announce the site for next year at some point in the next three days. And uh, Vegas is in the running. So they've they've made it a spectacle. In terms of Florida State, FSU had a ton of guys go to the Combine. It's going to frustrate us when we see how many guys get drafted, reflecting back on last year. But that is what it is. Derwin James is going to be the first guy off the board. And the latest rumors have him going as high as to Tampa Bay. But I think he's... Don't tell Cameron that. He's clearly (laughs) going to be a top 20 pick. Is he going to be a top 10 pick? We'll see. Uh, I tell you, he, his upside, I think, is is unbelievable uh, from the standpoint that he didn't have a great body of work with that redshirt year, uh, the injury year. Um, and people were, you know, you've you've heard some criticisms of him, like, you know, he can't tackle. 
what, what tape are they not looking at? Because uh, he missed that one tackle against North Carolina as a freshman. Everybody thinks he's he's horrible. Uh, he can't cover. Uh, what tape are they looking at? He didn't have a ton of interceptions because they didn't throw his way. Uh, you know, he can't. Uh, he doesn't have speed enough to play the safety position. I I don't want to race him. He, he's got all the intangibles as well as the measurables. Uh, I think he's going to be outstanding. Those who would make that argument are arguing he's a jack of all trades and a master of none. He's a football player, is what he is. That's what he is. If you to me, if you look at his three year career, obviously the second year was a wash because he got hurt. And his last year, it took him five or six games to round back into form. But if you look at the last half of last season and pair it with the freshman year that he put together. Plus, remember, he, a football he, he was asked to do some things last year that weren't necessarily in his wheelhouse. Uh, his strengths were not uh, exhibited uh, schematically as, as well as they can be and will be at the next level. We saw that in his freshman year. Uh, we did not see that in his last year, but that'll be on show and be on. Uh, everybody will be able to see it when he gets to to, to Sundays. So the real question: Derwin's going to be a first round pick. The question is, who goes next? Well, obviously McFadden from the measurables. Uh, as long as you don't look at much tape, <laughs> would be the next. I one. think most would say it's not going to be McFadden next because you got Josh Sweat and Derek well, Cotty in there. Well, my problem with Sweat is is the recent chatter that I've heard that that they're not comfortable with his knee, but there is still a lingering issue about his knee. Naughty is is, is a um, wild card because somebody can fall in love with him and, and, and not want to miss him and get him in the first round or move up early in the second round to get him because his body type, his motor, his attitude, his work ethic – you know, there, there's there's not very many of his type that come along very often. Uh, so Derek may be a guy that, that slips in there. But I'm just saying from size, length, speed, and, and everything that we talk about in the new corners of today, McFadden meets those measurables, and someone will probably go with, with the measurables in terms of drafting. So you got McFadden coming off the board second as an all. I, I, th- I think, unless, unless someone falls in love with Naughty, and we, don't, we won't know that, and they won't show their hand because you don't want anybody else to know. See, I think both Sweat and Naughty are gone before McFadden. Now, McFadden's an interesting case because – when you look at him, he looks the part. That's my point. But he didn't test very well, and his tape was terrible from last year. His tape was pretty good from the year prior. But but you, you've got coaches at the NFL that says, I, I can fix that. I can fix no, that. No, I do agree with that. And, and once you get out of the first round, people are much more apt to take a gamble, and you just need one team. And I think for that reason, you know, once you're out of the first round – Somebody could look at Josh Sweat at pick 45 or 50 and say, this guy's a football player, his his knee's finally healthy yeah. or whatever it is. And and by, every, by all accounts for people that I've – and I have not researched it, but all of the FSU people, um, they don't consider Sweat's knee to be an issue. I'm just hearing some chatter and reading some things about people that you know are just concerned about it because it was a devastating injury. Then he had that second injury before the Louisville game, and uh, and they're cautious. I don't know that they should be, but they are. Well, I did a podcast, a Washington Redskins podcast last week related to Derwin James, and they asked me how he's recovering from his torn ACL. I said, Derwin didn't tear his ACL here. It was a meniscus issue. And they're reading a report that talks about his tour. And I said, well, I don't know what he did in high school, but I'm telling you, at FSU, he didn't tear his ACL. That's, that is a but, fact. So the point being, there, so much stuff gets out there at draft time. True. And, Very true. And a lot of it is 
decoy, and a lot of it is not facts, and a lot of it's uninformed opinion. So there's all kinds of stuff there. Let's just call it gamesmanship. How about that? Some of it, some people would call it gamesmanship. I, but so anyway, uh, we'll, we'll see how the chips fall on that. But Derwin's going to get drafted. Sweat's going to get drafted. Naughty's going to get drafted. McFadden's going to get drafted. Matthew Thomas is going to get drafted. Ryan Izzo's probably going to get drafted. Uh, Izzo is a guy that has uh, some continued upside that that maybe wasn't necessarily taken advantage of at Florida State that can be with a different system at the next level. Uh, uh, he, he's big. He's strong. We know he can block. He can catch. Uh, you know, he's never, he wasn't really asked to run precise routes and that type of thing. So I don't know about his route running, but but he's a guy that uh, someone will will be very find very valuable when they get him. Who'd I leave out? Auden Tate's going to get drafted, although he's not the fastest guy. I don't know that he's going to go as high as what maybe some around here think. I could I, be wrong on that. He's got the size, obviously. The size is what's going to be attractive with him. And and again, when we talk about speed. You and I have talked about this. Our listeners are aware of it. There's there's the forty speed, and then there's football speed, and uh, and and that comes into quickness and the ability to get out of cuts and that type of thing. And and someone will have to judge Auden on his ability to do those things because candidly, those are more valuable than running forty yards in a straight line. The other guys, and I may not have the combine list completely right. So Jacob Pugh and Rick Leonard. Leonard, I see, is a free agent. I don't know. Pugh's probably. Pugh's borderline, I would think, borderline, but but he will get signed by somebody. He will have a chance to, to make an NFL roster. There's no question. So Florida State's going to put a truckload of guys into the NFL once again and will reminisce and reflect on the fact that all those guys went 7-6 and six last year together. I tell you, you know, when, when, 10 years from now when we reflect back on that, of course we don't know what Taggart's uh, career is going to be like uh, as he begins it here at Florida State, but – I'm wondering how big an anomaly that will really end up being at some point in time. I mean, I think we, it's a, we, we suffered through it, and now we want to forget it. But at some point in time, we're going to have to reflect back on it. I think it's fascinating to compare that to this year, where obviously right now Willie Taggart's hitting home runs in the off season and on the booster circuit that began the other night in Jacksonville and continues in Panama City and Pensacola the rest of this week. I think. Last year's team, with all that talent, obviously underachieved, but was not nearly as good as the sum of its parts, which is what we're going to be reflecting on tomorrow night. So when you project forward to this year's team, yes, you have a new install and a new system, and there's going to be some growing pains. And you also have what many are deeming the toughest non-conference schedule out there, maybe the toughest schedule, period. But what you the, the other side is, well, what if because they're all bought in and they're playing for each other, now they're suddenly a lot greater than the sum of their parts? And what does that mean for the team? This whole concept of chemistry, uh, coaches will tell you that, man, if you could bottle that and sell that or guarantee it, you know, you could make a whole lot of money, as the saying goes. Uh, the ability for the kids to get along, A, and then to complement each other and push each other relative to practice and during the game, uh, in-game adjustments, uh, you know, when someone gets hurt, someone picks up the slack. All those things related to chemistry uh, are very tough to measure. You, you usually don't know about that until after the fact. You can't predict it going forward. But by all indications, at least last year compared to this year, the chemistry will be better, and it may be off the charts. Uh, it'll be interesting to watch. 
Yeah, we don't know. That's sort of the glass is half full versus the glass is half empty. Most are picking FSU in the nine and three range. And if things take a little longer to get together than uh, expected, then, you know, you're eight and four, you get a tough schedule. I don't really see them getting to the seven and five level per se. No, but I think the flip side is at nine and three, if you get a break or things come together, you might be at 10 or 11 wins. So uh, it's going to be a fun year. I know it's going to be a long summer. I know that as well. And we'll continue to talk about it because guess what we do? We talk about it. We talk about it. <laughs> and we're going to talk about it some more when we continue on Front Row Knowles. Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Back on Front Row Knowles, we spent the whole first segment talking about the NFL draft, which begins tomorrow night. And as we fire up the Earl Bacon Agency hotline, we say hello to one of the gentlemen from Florida State who's going to hear his name called over the next uh, couple of days, next 48 hours or so, most likely. And that is Derek Noddy. Derek, uh, how are you doing? I'm doing wonderful. How are you doing? Doing great. Is this a nervous, anxious time for you, or do you just feel like the hay's in the barn and the chips are just going to fall where they may, if I can throw out as many cliches in one sentence as possible? <laughs> Honestly, that's really just about it. I'm just I'm really just waiting for days, to be honest. Has it been a stressful process getting from the end of your Florida State career to where you are right now? Not necessarily. How I felt about it is really just do what I got to do, and then after that, things just happen, happen the way they're supposed to happen. Derek, where where are you right now? Where will you be for the draft? I am back home in Virginia, and I'm going to stay here for the draft as well. You're going to have a big celebration, family, friends over? I mean, outline the evening. Are you going to be one that's not watching the draft because it's too nerve-wracking? Oh, no. I'll be watching the draft with my friends and family. Good deal. All right, so here's the you know the standard questions that always come up at this time. Uh, you know what's what's the strangest uh, question that you were asked during the pre-draft process, or uh, and you don't have to identify the team. I realize it may be your future employer, but uh, <laughs> has there been anything from from too far out of left field? Uh, yeah, this is one odd question. They just asked me if I like sugar with my grits. That's about it. Sugar with your grits. What'd you yeah. say? I, was, I just told him I'm not really a fan of grits, honestly. I go for some oatmeal or something. I'm trying to pull out the chart. If you like sugar with your grits, does that mean you, you're better against the run? And if you don't, you're better against the pass? I don't, I don't know what that would determine. <laughs> I have. I, have, I wish I knew. I really do. <laughs> uh, well, on a serious note, when you were in these interviews and, and you were selling yourself, how did you sell yourself to these teams? I mean, what do you think? Make the case for why you're uh, you know, a longtime NFL guy up front, in your opinion. I mean, for one, when they're asking me questions, I'll just really just be myself and just being honest. I feel that's what I feel that like they really just wanna they're looking for. And like from the football wise, I'll just say how I've been productive all four years and I've been consistent in my game ever since I got on the field. So I feel like if my soon as I go to the NFL it's the same type of same type of thing. 
Well, really, when you look at your numbers, uh, as a sophomore, you had 45 tackles and then 49 and then 53 and uh, several sacks each of those years as well. So you were part of some really good Florida State defensive fronts. You know, the way things finished up uh, for you and, and also for Odell Hagens, he obviously got a chance to be interim coach there for a couple games. What kind of and, – and I know I'm not trying to, to necessarily bring Jimbo into the conversation, but for you to have your segment coach uh, be sort of even more revered now than he was prior to that, what kind of pride uh, point is that for you? Are you talking about like when it happened? Yeah, just in general, to see him uh, become the head coach and get that opportunity for a couple of games. Uh, honestly, when that happened, dealing with him for four years, him being my own personal coach, I don't, the only thing I expected, I was like, yeah, a lot of people, I'll say a lot of these short, short amount of time, I spent a lot of things that changed. But Odell Higgins, he, like, with the things off the field and on the field, he set the certain standard to uphold. And so... Uh, when he came to interim head coach, I already knew you know, some things were about to change very soon. Derek, who were, uh, if, if there were, who were some of your teammates, maybe older players that you played with that are now in the league that you reached out to that that uh, you confided in, they gave you some advice, and, and uh, who, who have you been talking to to help mold how you approach this draft season? Uh, really, the only two I've really hit up is uh, now Lawrence Stamble and the Marcus Parker. Um, but I talked to like Jameis just like a, a while, um, just briefly when I was training, but that's about it. Well, what advice did did Nile or uh, Demarcus pass on to you? Uh, well, them two, uh, those I just talked to them about things financially, and other than that, they're all just telling me just really just do what got you here. You do just got what got me there, and everything else should be just be honest. It should be butter. Just butter. <laughs> but no sugar in the grits. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> so, growing up in Virginia, did you grow up a Redskins fan, or who was your team growing up? Honestly, I was a Steelers fan when I was growing up. Cause that was the first game I ever watched when I was a little kid. Steelers, all right. Hardcore, huh? Yes, sir. Excellent. So, do you remember the Mean Joe Green Coca-Cola commercial? That's way before his time. Well, I can ask him that. All right. Derek, have... do you remember that question? <laughs> I mean, I wasn't alive when I asked before. Well, that tells you how old I am, Derek. There, so there you go. <laughs> I, I was trying to prevent you from going down that Tom, road. Tom's yeah. greatest greatest uh, uh, pleasure is it's, making fun of the fact the that high, I'm older one. It's the highlight of my week every week. <laughs> We're talking with uh, with Derek Noddy, uh, former Florida State Seminole. Derek, what, what are you going to remember most fondly about your time at FSU? Man, there's a lot of things that <laughs> there's a lot of things that's happened that time that I'll always remember from memories with my teammates. Uh a lot of just talking like going back and forth with me and Odell on just silly some some silly stuff. Uh memories with him as well, because he's honestly he's really changed my life for the better. He's been a great role model for me. Um uh, the past four years there and still to this day I'll hit him up every now and then just for advice. Um, that's a lot of things. Honestly, it's probably the my opinion the best my best um thing the best place I've ever gone to really change my life. To really, there's a lot of things I'm always gonna remember. Derek, there's two things that um, the the book whoever wrote that book says that uh, you pay attention to with defensive linemen. Number one is hand placement and and the ability to fight with your hands. 
And second of all is is footwork. And one of the things that uh, has always fascinated me about defensive linemen that I've been around uh, all the way back to my day, all the way up to now, most of you guys are pretty good dancers. You you got some pretty good footwork. Uh, do you do you have a reputation for that, or do you shy away from it completely? <laughs> Man, I, I I know a little, but I don't be throwing it out there. No dancing with the stars in your future, you don't think? <laughs> nah, nah, nah I, I can't do that to myself. <laughs> <laughs> Going back to Odell, he recruits that area where you're from, and Florida State has been able to pull a lot of a lot of players from that area. I mean, is that primarily Odell? Is that the Florida State reputation up the Atlantic Seaboard? What What's the draw from that neck of the woods down to Tallahassee? Well, I mean, for me personally, it was. It was at Odell at first because he came down and talked to me back when I was a sophomore before they even offered me. And for, for everybody else, uh, shoot, I don't know what to tell you. Cause like, with me, I didn't really, I wasn't trying to go with the Florida State because of Florida State. Cause my mindset was I was trying to go to a school with a great educational background, a great football, well, good, uh, football background. A good offensive line because that's what we're going up against, and the most importantly, a good defensive line coach. And when I met Odell and saw what and, met, and realized what he stood for, that's what kind of still do. If and when uh, there's no more football in your life, uh, what what what's next for you? What's what's the alternative? What did you study at FSU? I studied uh, social science. My, with me. I've always I've been thinking about that for a long for a while. What I'll be doing? Uh, some part of me is going wants to go into social work. Some part of me wants to coach one day. So a lot of things I've always thought about because I met with a lot of people in my time down there, and like the information they gave me is kind of I hate to say the word, but it's very broad. Like where I can go, to. I've gotten all this information. Where what direction I can go to if I wanted to. Well, you've got time to sort all that out as we bring it back to the draft, which starts Thursday night, continues Friday and Saturday. Do you have a a, a round in the in the draft, if you'll disclose it, where you expect to go or hope to go? I mean, obviously you want to go as high as possible, but is there is there a point at which, you know, if you haven't heard your name, you'll start to sweat it a little bit more? Mm, no, nah, not really, but uh, my, my best guess, I probably in uh, – second or third round but at the same time i'm not really that worried because my thing is is just as long as i get picked as long as i get in that's that's the only opportunity that's the only chance i need because the second i get in that's all the opportunity i get and after that i'm just gonna show them how much i work Derek, when we talk to to uh, kids that are, are fixed to be drafted we talk a lot about how they've presented themselves and what they've sold of the teams that you've visited with, uh, who are a couple of the ones that you had memorable visits with or good visits with that uh, uh, you'd be willing to share with us? Well, I mean, I only visited two um, facilities. I visited the Jets and the Seahawks. And during my time over there, um, I kind of remember both of them pretty well. Uh, my first visit with the Jets, it was pretty, it was pretty cool because I didn't know what to expect. Uh, going there, met the facility. Oh, saw the facility. Um, had a long meeting with my with the position coaches. A lot of it was more just like just football talk, and it was pretty cool because I learned a lot of 
So I learned a lot of certain moves that can help you with my game later on. Um, and then when I went to meet the Seahawks, which is, in my opinion, is a really nice area. Uh, no humidity, so uh, you know it's it's Florida. Everything humidity is ridiculously high at times, and so it was a nice little change. And uh, one of the schools are really nice. They got a whole they got a whole big old lake right next to um, practice facility. That's pretty cool. But um, going over there to meet all the coaches, uh, a lot of them really down to earth people. Um, funny thing, a lot of them are really cool with um, one, um, like all my coaches, which is kind of cool. Some of them are, have played with them or coached them in some type of way, and so it's just kind of um, like a familiar vibe being around them. It's a small uh, fraternity when really you get down is. to it. I it mean, really there's is. a lot of paths that have crossed for sure. Well, Derek, we just uh, want to express the best of luck to you. Uh, we enjoyed watching your career. Uh, I'm sure last year didn't finish up the way you wanted it to in terms of team goals and whatnot, but uh, I have no no doubt that you're going to be in the league for a lot of years and I uh, hope it's uh, an enjoyable experience the next 48 hours and, and then for the next several years after that. Thank you. Derek Noddy. Take care. Enjoy the draft and uh, get some grits with some sugar. <laughs> <laughs> Will do. Take care, Derek. All righty. Uh, you know, in honor of Derek, we need to talk to Matt over at Madso and see if we may be on to something. Of course, then again, to be fair, Derek said that he's not a grits guy. So, I mean, that we won't call that the naughty special. Uh, but I will tell you that they've got for 10 bucks tomorrow night, if you're watching the draft at Madison Social, Keith, you get a, a, a pint glass that's got a, a Derwin James uh likeness on it and they fill it with beer too so that's your 10 bucks special they also got a you know one commemorating mike martin's all-time wins record coming up unfortunately that might be a day later than we thought since <laughs> the team lost we're last night three we're sitting at three right now we're sitting at three yep. yeah so you need a sweep and obviously it would be fitting if he got that against wouldn't it though I, I, you talk about uh start to finish first win against miami uh to uh, uh not not get swept in a series, and then 39 years later, uh, a win that you would have to sweep in order to get the record. Uh, the interesting backstops. By the way, I just want to finish up what I was doing here for our For the Table friends. Tomorrow is National Pretzel Day, and Township is on its game. They had a picture on social media. One of the, one of the cooks in the kitchen was holding a 40-pound block of cheddar getting ready for the big pretzel day. So if you're not interested in the draft, just go right across Madison Street there and clog the arteries with pretzel and cheese. I got to be honest with you, Mr. Block, I got nothing. <laughs> I got nothing. Well, I've sort of been used to it. We've been doing this for a number of years now. <laughs> Tim Linnefelt will join us right after this. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener, online at ctf.nu. Here's Tom and Keith. Back on Front Row Knowles, Tom and KJ with you. Keith, as we say hello to our Seminoles.com insider, Tim Linnefelt, via the Earl Bacon Agency hotline. Hi, Tim. Hey, Tom. 
I was just going to point out, I feel like we finally are catching our breath on this spring because we just, we rode the basketball thing. We've been riding football. Now I finally feel like we're... Time to exhale, is that what you're saying? Well, and and yeah, yeah, sort of. I don't know if you feel the same way, Tim, but it has been, uh, it's been an interesting uh, spring. And now we roll right into the NFL draft. And Derwin James is going to get picked pretty early tomorrow night. What do you think? The Bucks taking him? Where's he going? I think they could. Uh, you know, I think he's probably going to go pretty high. Uh, just, uh, I don't know, maybe it's just a hunch, I guess. But, you know, looking around and some of the, trying to read as many of the tea leaves as possible. You, you follow some of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, B riders, an awful lot of them think that he's going to go to them uh, at number seven overall. I've also seen a lot of uh, Miami. I think they pick eleventh uh, as a possibility. Uh, so I would be. I, I think he's going to go within the top ten, and if he doesn't, it's going to be pretty soon after that. How do you think he'll do in the NFL? Yes, <laughs> I think uh, I think he'll probably do well. I, I think it, it really depends on who drafts him and, and what their vision is for him and how they want to use him. I think if, you know, think about when Derwin was his, at his most effective at Florida State, it wasn't just when he was just dropping back and playing a traditional safety role. It's when you're you know, having him play at all three levels, playing safety, but also moving into the box as a linebacker and then sometimes moving him you know, to the edge as a, as a pass rusher. I think that's his strength. And if an NFL defensive coordinator looks at him the same way and says, I'm going to employ this guy all over the field and sort of have him be a, you know, a wild card, so to speak. Then I think he can be really successful. I think if, if you're just going to move him back and, uh, and, and just be a safety in the, in the vein of the, you know, the traditional way of playing the position, uh, I don't know that that's as much his strength. And I also don't think, by the way, that uh, a team drafting him in the top 10 would, would be drafting him seventh overall just to play you know, the, uh, the old Ed Reed style of safety. Who's the second Seminole off of the board? Tom and I disagree. I think it's going to be Sweat, but you can make a case for Nadia. I assume that's who you guys are split on. You would assume incorrectly. You know what they say about really? that word. The more the more I listen to the NFL f- people talk about measurables and, and things that um, they, they value, um, I, I keep coming back to McFadden and his length and his, his – size and and i'm i'm not here to tell you i'm betting anything that he's the second one off of the board because certainly i saw the tape live and in person but um would you like to see the the tape again mr jones we have this conversation they just they play by the numbers i mean they they very rarely take chances and i i i I agree with that keith to to the degree uh, especially like you know when it comes to like your college production as a defender i mean you know like the and, and this can work for and against Tavares, but you know the the college football's interception leader or what have you. That like college interception numbers doesn't really mean a whole lot uh, to the NFL. They look at, uh, at at like you said your measurables, your physical abilities, and you know, obviously Tavares had big interception numbers a couple of years ago. Uh, the more important thing would be uh, his physical measurables. Uh, Tom, who do you think is going to be next? I think Sweat's going to be next. Yeah, I do but too. I do agree. I would say this about T Mac. Despite what the tape looked like from last year, had he just run a little bit better time, I think they would have fallen in love with his size again and been able to back it up by saying, and he's got the speed. But to me, the speed's going to be the reason they won't. Um, I, in my mind, I think you know Derwin's a first-rounder. I think Sweat probably goes second round. You know, The combination of Sweat, Naughty, and T-Mac are going to be second to fourth round probably but uh, Nani could be second third round and T-Mac could still get into the third round I think because of that 6-2 frame well, you know, Keith if, if Tavares is the next uh, next coming off the board after Erwin James 
Uh, where do you think he's going to go? When do you think he's going to go? Well, I would think it would be in the second round. I don't think it would be a first-round pick. I don't think anybody would take that. But again, and, and again, fellas, I'm not saying I'm betting the ranch on it. It's just my experience with the NFL is when, when the time comes to hand that note to whoever walks out to the commissioner, they play it strictly by the numbers game. It certainly, I think you're right. Go ahead, Tim. I'll, I'll, I'll say this. I, I guarantee you there's some GMs out there who, who have watched him and looked at him and after seeing uh, some of the film from last year and then some of the, the, the combine tests, things like that, there's probably some guys that are probably trying to be quiet and look around and say, hey, you know, I think we can get a bargain with this guy. But, you know, when you're thinking about getting a bargain, you're probably not usually thinking about getting a bargain in the second round, typically. Yeah, and there's no question, just to finish that point, when, you know, all things being equal, if you've got a six foot quarterback and a six three quarterback and they're dead even, you're taking the six three guy. I mean, they always default to the numbers because they can fall back on the numbers. And again, way. part of my defense uh, that you didn't hear uh, when Tom and I were talking is, you know, there's been chatter in the last 48, 72 hours that there's teams that are concerned again about Sweat's knee. Mm-hmm. And therefore, do you do you take him that high, or do you wait and see if he's still around in the third round or fourth round and try to get a steal? Uh, I, I think everybody that has been associated with Josh at the FSU level will tell you that the knee's fine. But again, you're fixing to invest a couple, three, five million dollars. You might be hesitant. Tim, let's play the rest of this game here. Auden Tate, what round? Fifth. Izzo. Matthew Thomas. Fourth. Pew. I don't know how good they have Will he make a team? He'll sign as a free agent, certainly. I think he will, yeah. Rick Leonard. Oh, same. Although, you know what? He's kind of interesting, though. I mean, I wouldn't be shocked if somebody took a, a late-round flyer on him, just because I think he's, he might be the most, uh, I don't know, unknown, for lack of a better word, given his physical abilities, but also the fact that he hasn't been playing the position for very long. Well, and, and again, he's got the measurables. You know, right, there, right. Tom and I were talking. There's plenty of NFL segment coaches out there that say, you know, I can take that guy, and his coaches at the college level were horrible, but I can take that guy, and I can make him into an everyday player. Exactly. No, and no, there's there's a bit of an ego thing there, but uh, that works well if you're a player if you get somebody to believe in him. What about Ryan Green? Well, that's kind of interesting too. I my my guess is he'll probably end up signing somewhere. Uh, as a free agent, but uh, there's a, there really is a, uh, I don't know if it's strange is the word, but an unusual amount of buzz uh, surrounding a guy who has so little in terms of, of collegiate production. You know what, the the film that he does have, he doesn't have a ton over the last five years, but the film that he does have is actually you know, pretty good. I mean, he's a really, really fast player. Uh, I think if a team's looking to you know, try to make something happen, take a flyer on a guy who can contribute on special teams, and uh, maybe a little bit more, um, you know, maybe you do take a chance on him. I, I, you can be sure. That, uh, that if he doesn't get drafted, somebody will sign him, uh, sign him at least to try out. Did I leave anybody out? I think I hit the gamut there. I think so. I tend to agree, uh, you know, with the general range you have most of those guys. That would be seven guys drafted overall. So when that happens, are you going to feel better or worse about last season, Tim? <laughs> oh, <laughs> that's a good question. Uh, if, I think I'll probably feel uh, just about the same. I mean, I think that's pretty much what we expected uh, from all those guys. But you know what, though, man? I mean, if you take it uh, a step further, you know, if, if you had said, but like, let's say Tavares was drafted, just, just for the sake of discussion, just drafted in the fourth round, uh, before last season started, if you told most folks that he would be a fourth rounder, they, they probably wouldn't have believed you. Um, you know, take it back to you know, Josh Sweat, his, uh, his freshman year, and the hype he had coming out of high school. Um, not to say that, uh, you know, 
a lot of the circumstances were beyond his control. But you know, most of us were thinking this guy was was going to come in, be an elite pass rusher, and, and you know, potentially be a first round pick. Although we don't really think that's going to happen. And so, in a lot of ways, it kind of kind of adds up, doesn't it? It does. That's why you're our Seminoles.com insider. Let's shift gears totally. I want to talk Mike Martin real quick because he's three wins from the record. By the time we convene next week, he may have it. Obviously, they didn't win last night. Have to sweep Miami to get there. Does it feel anticlimactic to you at this point? Or does it feel like the Seminole fan base, or and I realize college baseball is not a big national following, like there's not enough appreciation for the significance of that mark and just how many wins it is? Yeah, probably. That's a, that's a good way to put it. I mean, you're talking about you know getting around 2,000 wins—a streak that was, or not a streak, but a, a mark that was at least in its infancy when before most people, a lot of Florida State fans were—I don't say most, but a lot of Florida State fans were even born. Um, and so, yeah, I think it's kind of when you, you know you sort of take a, a seat and look back. You know, a good thing to do is like you look back at old media guys would go on nolfan.org and go through the year by year and sort of scroll for a while and you think, man. That is a that is an awful uh, awful lot of wins, um, and and you know and I think part of it is and this is sort of his way and probably what, what most coaches would do is that, that eleven you know has kind of tried to downplay it a little bit. Obviously, it means something to him, but certainly as they've gotten closer, you know he, he isn't really basking in it or anything like that. And I think he kind of you know he certainly doesn't want to do anything uh, too public about the record until he actually has it, which uh, which you know you also understand. And so I think that probably lends itself a little bit to it uh, as well, but. Uh, yeah, you sort of you lose your perspective uh, on a record like that until you actually, I think, stop and think about you know, when it actually began and all the all the midweek games it took to make it happen and all the great players that were a part of it. Um, it's uh, it, it, it's, it's kind of hard to, to even put it into into context. It's such a, a long time and I mean, it's been, you know, more than nineteen hundred wins. So many, you hear that number, and then you sort of just say, "Yeah, yeah, okay." But then you stop and think, and you look at some of the other coaches in the game right now, and the, the number of wins they have, I'm like, not even close. Well, and I think too, there's a conflict. You've got you've got the body of people that want to be critical of eleven because Florida State has never won in in Omaha, and then you've got the other body of people that are appreciative of 39 years and and the consistency uh, that Florida State has had in getting into the postseason. But neither group is saying much right now because you know we don't know if Florida State's going to be a top 8 seed uh you know the record needs needs to get a little better and and those that are preaching we need a a a win in Omaha are are just kind of being quiet because they do need to appreciate the fact that it's dang near 2000 wins i mean i th- i think there's a lot of people that are just sitting and watching and not really saying or doing much if that makes any sense no and i think that's fair especially cuz it's been you know, it's been a countdown for a while. Certainly, once uh, once he got within eleven wins, uh, you know the, the the baseball marketing program kind of started the, the countdown there. But once you start, once you kick off the countdown, and you sort of keep on going, but there's sort of not it's just sort of wait and see, you know, in, until it actually happens. Of course, but losing it, five in a row doesn't help uh, well, during the process either. as well. Right, right, and so. You know, I, I think once it actually happens, it's like it's going to happen, and once it does, then I think. I, you know, I, I really expect it'll be a, a, a nice celebration, a fun celebration, and you know, and even some of the folks that are uh, you know, hard to please, I think at least for a while there, we'll, we'll be able, hopefully, to, uh, to appreciate it because it is history, and this is, I mean, this is one of those records. I mean, yeah, good grief, is this ever going to be broken? I mean, I just can't imagine. Well, 
I mean, technically speaking, there's some guys who could chase him down, but they'd have to win 40 games a year for 15 more consecutive years, and they'd be age 78 by the time they got there. So, yeah, that is that is, and and why would you bother? Because, uh, I, you know, this is sort of uh, the way college athletics is. But you used to not right. get paid all that well, but now these guys that are in that bracket, you know, they're making seven figures to coach college baseball. So, do you need to do it to age 78? I mean, you can probably cash it in and uh, enjoy retirement there. Who knows? But to your point, yes, it's going to be tough to run it down, no question. Tim, you're always tough to run down, but we appreciate that uh, in the uh, throes of your busy day, you uh, carve out 15 minutes for us weekly to uh, join us here on Front Row Knowles. No, it truly is one of the highlights of my week. Was there any sincerity in that at all? None. 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 Well, was there any sincerity in what you just said to me? No, but that's my role. Yeah, that's well, true. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> the insincere conversations will continue next week. Thank you, Tim. You got to go. We'll continue this conversation about Mike Martin after this on Front Row Knowles. Sincerely. <laughs> me and Dale were singing Little Runaway I was flying Yeah, running Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener. Online at ctf.nu. Here's Tom and Keith. That music can only mean one thing. We've still got a whole segment to go. we got another 10 or 12 minutes here before we wrap up. Uh, KJ, I will remind you, and you already know this, but if you've got a do-it-yourself project, Ron and his staff at Cornerstone Tool and Fastener are the folks to talk to to take care of uh, all your power tool needs, answer your questions, whatever it may be. A couple of locations here in the capital city, 1110 Stuckey Avenue and 3269 Crawfordville Highway. 580-1200. Go ahead and store that in your phone. Visit them online at ctf.nu. A wealth of resource. Let's continue this Mike Martin conversation. First, just because uh, Tim mentioned it, and I, you know, who knows if it'll get broken or not. But when you look at, uh, he's got about a 550 win lead over the next closest guys right now. Uh, well, that's not technically true. Uh, Jim Morris is only 420 behind him, but, but Jim, he's Morris, Jim Morris is done. But so if you look at Mike Fox at Carolina and Pulmonary at LSU, John Anderson at Minnesota, they're all in their early, you know, they're 61 to 63. Somewhere in that age group, I actually looked this up. And so they'd have to go another 14 to 15 years averaging 40 wins per season, which would take them past age 75 to do it. So is that going to happen? Probably not. I mean, Mike Fox has kind of tailed off a little at North Carolina compared to when what they were doing 10 years ago. Uh, Paul Maneri obviously has got things going at LSU pretty good. They were national runners up last year. Now, in 11's numbers, if, if I do the math correctly, 39 seasons, 1,900 plus, you know, he's averaging 50 wins plus or minus a ball game. And, and, and just think about what you just did. You didn't say these guys average 50 wins for another eight years or another seven years. You immediately went to the 40-win threshold, which is where everybody starts, but yet 11 is at the 50-win threshold. Well, Fifty and a half. I just did the math mm-hmm. on it, and which makes the so really consistency but, that much more impressive. It, yeah, it's impressive, but the rules have changed too. So you have a fifty-six game limit on your regular season. In the eighties, you used to play more games. Uh, Wichita State used to do it famously. So there's there's a year in there. I think eighty-six FSU won sixty-one games. Point being, it's harder to get to fifty now than it used to be because you you just can't play as many games. Uh, regardless of whether it's broken, to me the bigger question right now is: so if he plays this out, gets the record. 
FSU may or may not go to Omaha. Say they don't win the national title. He finishes his career without a national title. At some point, are we going to appreciate the consistency and the wins? And are we going to look at – because I feel like if you look at Dan Marino these days, who one of his footballs is in your house – I don't. It doesn't come up as an asterisk in every conversation about Dan Marino that he never won the big one. We see Charles Barkley on TV all the time. No longer do we add a footnote that he didn't win the big one, or Carl Malone and John Stockton, or whoever's name, or Jim Kelly. You know, we don't. We just appreciate that they were great at what they did. Now I know it hurts, especially hurts Florida State fans that Florida is the reigning national champ and maybe the two-time defending national champ when this year is done. But at some point, do we look back and appreciate that? We should, and and I would tell you that if you looked at the the three areas that you can measure a program by, regardless of program, which is consistency, winning championships. And, and what did they do with the young men and the young women that came into their program? How, how different and changed were those kids when they left as men and women? Then at least by two marks, you've got to judge 11 as an A or an A+. Plus, and that's the winning consistency and, and what he's done with the kids. The, 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 young, the boys, the young men that have come into the program that have left as, as productive citizens and grown men. Uh, same thing for Coach Bowden, same thing for, for Coach Hamilton, same thing for Lonnie, same thing for Coach K. I mean, you look at all of our programs across the board. Um, that's the one thing the Florida State family has been able to do. And, oh, by the way, we have some – we've won some national championships along the way. But those two other marks, for whatever reason, society, Tom, just doesn't measure them like maybe they should. And, and because I'm a little older, maybe I'm I'm becoming, becoming that – that phase where I, I look at that. I mean, those consecutive NCAA appearances by Florida State, that's a string that, that it, in, in some respects is even more remarkable than Martin's win string. The consistency, the 40-win seasons is at 40 in a row for FSU and 38 of them under Martin. And if I have this right, the school that's next closest is at six straight seasons. of I mean, six to 38. So that that's where the argument uh, comes. And in. when you look at we, Florida we State this, playing another bowl game and setting that record, that'll never be broken. I mean, you've you've got a couple of strings, things in 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 the baseball and the football program that are never going to be touched again. Probably two more things on baseball, and then we'll finish up. And the second one's really a, a longer conversation for a later day. First of all. I'd be remiss if I didn't bow down to Stephen Wells for getting a hit every time he went to the batter's box last week. That was absurd. 12 straight and like 17 for 20 or whatever it was, plus a couple walks. Well, he had he had a even longer consecutive on base thing yeah, yeah. that was just ridiculous. So shout out to Stephen. Don't want to, I mean, it's not, uh, it's not ever in Florida State baseball history that somebody's done that. So congratulations. Here's what I was going to say. Personally, I think this is it for Mike Martin. I think he's going to retire after this year. We'll see. If he doesn't, there needs to be a head coach, and there needs to be some sort of statement on what the plan is because it is hurting recruiting. And so, if Mike Martin is coming back, uh, and I, you know, I don't know how you would do it if you weren't going to name Mike Junior as the successor. But if that's what the plan is, you need to say that he's the coach in waiting, and he's going to take over because it's killing recruiting. Now, if that's not the direction that the university or the administration wants to go. I don't know how you do that, but it's a problem that needs to be addressed somehow. 
the the reference point the reference point that I would make is that the Florida State faithful, and I mean the true Florida State faithful, that saw what happened with Coach Bowden continuing in, in, in his career, and 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 how the the record was not as pristine and nice as we would have liked for it to be. And that because of that, Coach Bowden's last few years are judged more negatively than maybe they should be. I would hope that 11 would look at that and say, you know, that could be me. I, I, I could, if I threw my weight around, I could coach another year or two or three. But what's my record going to be? And, and unless I'm riding a real high crest, unless I get to Omaha this year and I win it all, then it's probably time for me to bow out and, and understand that I didn't get the national championship, but I did some other things that will never be replicated again, certainly at Florida State and potentially never, ever again in college baseball. Baseball will become more of a topic on this show over the next six weeks or so because that's what happens in May and then as as long as they will run into June. But anyway, hopefully when we convene next week, it was a three-game sweep of Miami. And uh, he's got the record. I will say it, it's not lost on me that Andrew Cart moved from the midweek to the weekend rotation. And what happened? You got a great performance on Sunday and Florida State won a series, but you missed him on Tuesday and you lost a game to Stetson. So we the, well, the, would, the, would, the, would Andrew have made any difference if you're going to boot the ball around for five errors? The, the bigger point being, though, is you get into these conference series. You, I think most would agree you've got a better chance to win the series and take two out of three now that Carp's back into that weekend. And we knew it was headed there after you got past. Uh, playing the Gators on on Tuesday. By the way, the Gators lost to Mercer last night, and so they have now lost. This will just so Florida State that folks aspect be, of Florida State fans are fixing to really enjoy what Tom is fixing to say. Yes, uh, direct your emails to Keith Jones. Florida's now lost to Jacksonville, UCF twice, and Mercer this year. But FSU can't beat them to save their lives right now. That is the world we're living in. You know, and and I did not play college baseball. Certainly, did not play at the major league. But I remember from high school, and I remember from 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 Babe Ruth, and I remember from little league. The one thing that is consistent about baseball is it is a weird and wacky sport. You can't <laughs> explain anything that happens in it. But we try to, and we'll try it again next week, right here on this show, folks. He's Keith. I'm Tom. Thanks for tuning in. Enjoy the draft. Does it to the heat?